Is God trying to get your attention? Pastor Ed Taylor on some of the ways he does so. God uses a lot of things to get our attention. He'll use anything. Sometimes it's a hospital room. It's a doctor's office. It's a diagnosis. It's an unforeseen sickness, a surgery, a surprise visit, a text message, a few zeros in your bank account, maybe a negative sign on your bank account. It's a pink slip, singleness, it's loneliness, it's fears, anxieties. These are attention grabbers for sure. But other times, God gets our attention through the clear teaching of his word. This is amazing grace. We've all had nightmares, and some of them were so terrifying that even after we wake up, we still question whether or not it was real. It's about that time we pinch ourselves, right? Well, today on Abounding Grace, we'll see how God got a king's attention through his sleep, and in doing so, revealed world history. But the question we'll have you consider now is, does God have your full attention? Maybe he's been trying, and you've been resisting. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in Daniel chapter 2. Take your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Does God Have Your Full Attention? And that's a great question to ask. Does God have your full attention? And there are a lot of ways that God uses to get our attention. Can you give me an amen on that? There are a variety of ways that God uses to get our attention. I mean, really to get our full and undivided attention. Not just times where we turn our attention to worship Him in church or we turn our attention through our Devo life, but through life circumstances, God is drawing us into deeper relationship with Him to get our attention. And I believe God wants you to be reminded today that He wants your full, undivided attention. He doesn't want you listening to this world more than you listen to Him. He doesn't want you influenced by the winds of culture and the fads and the trinkets of this world. He, he doesn't want for us to be more influenced by social media than we are by the Word of God. He wants us to trust His Word, to read it, to receive it, to act out upon it. And He uses a variety of ways. I can't help but remembering that in an arid desert there was this little bush all lit up with fire. And as this bush was on fire without burning up, what happened to it? It began to talk. Now, wouldn't you think that a talking, burning bush would get your attention? I think it would. Although it was unique to Moses, it was the tool that God used to get his attention in the moment. I think of the prophets of Baal, the false teachers, the false prophets, as they receive a stunning message from God up on Mount Carmel as fire came down from heaven. If you go to Israel with us, we will take you up to a plateau on Mount Carmel. 
And it's a glorious time to think of how God used that very area on more than one occasion to get the attention of his people. I think of Saul of Tarsus. He's headed down the road toward Damascus, ready to destroy as many Christians as he can, thinking that he was doing God a service, and yet it was God who shone this bright light and introduced Jesus Christ, introduced himself personally to Saul of Tarsus and radically forever changed his life. There are a lot of ways that God uses to get our attention. I mean, one of the most dramatic and funny ones in the Bible is, and it happened with our friend Balaam. Some of you are familiar with the true story of Balaam. He was on his way to betray God, this prophet. If you want to jot it down, it's, well, let's turn there. Stay in Daniel. Go to Numbers chapter 22. And let's look for a moment at this unusual story, true story of Balaam and how God spoke to him. Notice in verse 1, Then the children of Israel moved and camped by the plains of Moab, Numbers 22, way back to the left. They, they camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was sick and with dread because of the children of Israel. He goes on to ask for a, uh, for a prophet. He asks that he calls for Balaam, which was a, he was a prophet of Israel, to curse the Egyptians, to fight on his behalf. But God told him no. And the king of Moab wouldn't take it. So he sends more men and more money in Numbers 22 to plead with Balaam to do this. And this time, God says, go ahead, Balaam, you can go. And as he does, though, his heart's lifted up with greed. Notice in verse 22, it says, Then God's anger was aroused because as he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on the donkey, he and his two servants with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the road. And the angel of the Lord stood, verse 24, in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. And then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. And then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, and I wonder what the voice was. Hey, Balaam. I don't know what the voice was. But the donkey says, what? It, had to be, it would have to be a female voice. But what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, which is more, which is funnier than the first, because now he's having a talk, he's talking with his donkey. And Balaam says, hey, because you've abused me, <laughs> I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you, because your way 
is perverse. The donkey saw me and turned aside. If she didn't turn aside from me, verse 33, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. God uses a lot of things to get our attention. He'll use anything. Sometimes it's a hospital room. It's a doctor's office. It's a diagnosis. It's an unforeseen sickness, a surgery, a surprise visit, a text message, a few zeros in your bank account, maybe a negative sign on your bank account. It's a pink slip, singleness, it's loneliness, it's fears, anxieties. These are attention grabbers for sure. But other times, God gets our attention through the clear teaching of his word. God gets our attention as his word is opened up, illuminated by the Holy Spirit. He has a word for us. And now just in listening to this dramatic, funny story of the prophet Balaam talking to his donkey is a word from God to some that you are going in the wrong direction and you need to stop and fall on your face in repentance before God. It's not about pleasing a pastor. It's not about doing what the church tells you to do. Listen, the Bible supersedes the church. The Bible came before the church in many ways. The Old Testament, God, he precedes the church. And a lot of times people resist the leadership of the church because they understand clearly what the Bible says and are looking for a way out. So they just come up with excuses with people. When you know what the Bible says, you know what it says about your behavior you know what it says about your heart. You know what it says. And you go, well, you know what, then uh, let God send me a donkey. Well, I'm as close as a donkey as you're going to get today. <laughs> and in many ways, I am a fool for Christ. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the foolishness of the simplicity of the gospel. A lot of times God will just speak to you by the reading of the Bible, by teaching, sound biblical teaching that uses the Bible as what it says, takes from the text. Let me give you a couple words to understand when it comes to interpreting the Bible. They're very important, and you want to know the difference. The methodology that we use, and which is accustomed and acceptable for studying and interpreting the Bible, is a word called exegesis. And you can spell it E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, I believe. Exegesis. And it means that when we approach the Bible, we allow the Bible to teach us. And so the Bible study comes from the Bible. That, that's our goal, to open the Bible and allow it to say what it says. And that means we keep things in context. That, that means we allow the Bible to say what it says before and after, to give you the cultural understanding, the, the, what it meant to the original hearers, so then we can give you the application of what it may mean to us today exegesis. That's a very important, you need to find a church where they are committed to the ex sound exegesis of the Bible. You need that in your life. Otherwise, you're going to starve to death, literally. Because the opposite is what seems to be very popular today. And on occasion, we fail in this area too. That's why the Bible says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And the opposite of exegesis is something known as eisegesis. And it's not Jesus, but Jesus. So it, you know what I mean. I-S-I-G-E-S-I-S, -I, -E I, I think is how it's spelled. It might be different. I don't have it in my notes. But eisegesis means that you read into the text. You make it say something that it doesn't say. And we all know, and we've all heard people say, you know, you can, I can, give me the Bible, I can make it say whatever I want it to say. 
That's actually pretty true. You can take this little verse over here and this little verse over here and you could take, I mean, one look today, you're just flipping on so-called Christian television during their fundraising times will tell you this. They just make up stuff. We want to give you the, you know, Jeremiah 33 promise and 33, that means God's going to give you a 33,000 fold of your giving and like, what are you talking about? Open the Bible and see that Genesis 33, 3 has nothing to do with what they say. Why? Because they read it into the text. You don't want to be in a church that does that. You don't want to be following a man that does that. You don't want to be following a teacher that does that. But here's the problem. We like that. The Bible says in the last days, it's going to be hard to endure sound doctrine. And so what do we do when we don't like what the Bible teaches? That's really what that means. We don't, we don't like sound doctrine. We don't like what we're hearing. We don't like what the Bible is saying. It seems like it's always convicting me or causing me to grow. Or, you know, you don't want to, we were watching a, Bible study too, part of our staff devos today. And the brother was telling us, the pastor was saying, look, you don't want to come to church just for this sense of being comfortable and, oh, I want to leave. I want to be encouraged. I want to feel uh, good when I leave. That, that's, that, that happens sometimes. But, but you don't want a pastor that just hits that mark in your life already every week and say, oh, I hope you feel better. I, I, I hope you enjoyed the message and, and I hope everything. No, you want a pastor that speaks prophetically and calls you to the higher level. You don't want to be in the lower levels. You want to be in a church church that's calling you to a higher living, that, that is growing in the sanctification of living in Christ, one that's willing to tell you the truth, tell you in love, but you don't want to just be around and just settle down in, in comfort and ease and not be growing in the things of God. We want to always be growing, and we don't want to just have that, those times where, well, let, let's find a verse and we'll come up with some Bible study around the verse, but rather, what is God telling us through his word? Because, I mean, think about it. We're here for 90 minutes on a Wednesday night. You're tuned in on the radio and you, you've got, maybe you're on your way to work when this airs and you're getting some of the Bible. But for the most part, you live in a world that's saturated with sin in a whole different culture, a whole different, you know, Christianity is a subculture, sometimes even sub, sub, subculture of the broader culture that the Bible describes as the world. And, and the, those that love the world, the Bible says, the love of the Father is not in them. And so what does the world do? The world does everything possible to cause you and me to fall in love with this world. To make you dissatisfied and discontented with your spiritual life. And you don't endure sound doctrine. And you start, the Bible says in those last days when you don't endure sound doctrine, then we start to raise up for ourselves teachers that will scratch that itch. And then we, ultimately, we're the ones that lose. Our families are the ones that lose. And the kingdom loses. And it's not the will of God. God answers us as we open his word. He promises to guide us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus promised when he sent the Holy Spirit in John 16 that the Spirit of God will guide us. Some of you are looking for guidance today. God promises you to guide you. That the Bible will open up to you. Um, if you've ever fallen out of love with the Bible, you know, you just got tired of reading it or you don't want, you haven't read it in a while. I like to tell you, go back to Psalm 119. Start, don't, don't pick up where you left off necessarily. Go back to Psalm 119 and just read through of all the blessed, beautiful benefits and the power of God's word. It's a long psalm, so it'll take a little while, but it'll encourage you just reading. Like all of Psalm 119 is yours and mine 
by faith. It all belongs to us. All of the Bible was inspired by God. It's all profitable. It all builds us up and teaches us and instructs us. And, and our church, my commitment as a pastor, is to continue as long as I possibly can, teaching you the Bible verse by verse, asking God for wisdom for our church, while asking God for wisdom that everyone's connected to our church, for the broader church, that I might be more prophetic in our teaching here, not less prophetic. That there'd be more stirring up, not less stirring up. That there would be more encouragement, but sometimes to be encouraged is to be reminded of God's love, to be reminded of our own sinfulness and how God lead. You know, even Balaam, you know, we get stuck on, on the donkey, but really the focus is on God and God's faithfulness to speak to a guy that wouldn't listen and who was dull. He didn't see what his, his donkey saw, the angel, but Balaam didn't. And God arranged to get his attention so he could see the glory of God. And God will arrange to get your attention even as we see today in Daniel chapter two. So come back with me as we see God getting the attention of a heathen, unbelieving king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we are just starting on our journey in the book of Daniel and we are in our seventh Bible study. So if you're just joining us, we've had six studies preceding this. And it started in verse 1, chapter 1, with two introductory Bible studies laying the foundation and groundwork and background of Daniel. And then we jumped right in. So we're starting a new chapter today. So come with me, Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation as that becomes uh, the text that we use to study it. So verse 1. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he dreamed. And as they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. And when the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. We are in the time of the captivity of Daniel and his friends being trained in the kingdom of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is, is a guy that is anti-God in every way. Uh, some of you work for people like that. Some of you have neighbors. Some of you are married to people like that. Some of you have friends, family that are just anti-God. But one of the things you're going to learn about Nebuchadnezzar, that even the most hardened anti-God person is not beyond the reach of God. Now Daniel doesn't know this because he's living it in front of him, face to face, day by day, just like you. You're living your life right now, day by day, face to face. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what breakthrough is going to come. You don't know what changes around the corner. You don't know what God's preparing you to walk into. You don't know. You're living life today, so you're learning to abide in the moment because you never know what God is going to do. He, he's always working and always on time. He's always working in our lives, delivering to us exactly what he wants in his timing. And so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know. He's just living a hate-filled life. Daniel doesn't know the end, but he's learning to live faithfully. And remember, jot this down in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
God is willing and wanting to speak to anyone that will listen. God's voice goes out to anyone who will listen. Pastor Ed Taylor on how God often works in people's lives, and this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, we noticed how God got a king's attention through a dream, but does God still speak through dreams today? And if so, how can we be sure it's of the Lord? You know, Larry, that's a great question. Let me answer it straight out first before I give any explanation. The answer is yes. Remember what Peter said on Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And then we have visions and dreams throughout the book of Acts. And today he does still minister through dreams. But the real question is, how do we know it's from the Lord? Well, first of all, it's never going to contradict the scriptures. You're not going to have a dream that says it's okay to sin. You're not going to have a dream that introduces another Jesus. You're not going to have a dream that tells you to go and hurt somebody. But God could give a direction through a dream that's confirmed through a scripture. Now, I don't believe that it's as common as some people make it. I don't believe it's as common where you can write a book and now we have dream interpreters. I don't believe that. I think that's all fake. I know that might be shocking to some of you because you're like, well, you know, my favorite teacher is a dream interpreter. Yeah, I don't think so. That's not the normative thing in the scriptures. Uh, it's, it's not. The normative thing in the scriptures is teaching the Word of God, and you want to focus on teaching the Word of God. But does God use dreams? Yes. And if you have a dream that you wake up with a memory, write it down and pray over it. Write it down and let it filter through the scriptures. Write it down. Like, like I received, I had a dream recently. It was a little bit disturbing. But when I woke up and I started praying about it, the Lord just had me to pray about a brother. That's all it was. It, it wasn't a prophecy. It wasn't a direction. You go, Ed, how do you know? I, just the Spirit bore witness with my spirit that I need to be praying for this brother. That what I saw in the dream was just a reminder that he is under great warfare. And I need to be there for him. And I need to pray for him. And, you know, he and I have a friendship going back 28 years so I want to make sure that I stand in the gap for him. But it was a shocking, startling dream. You know, if I went to one of these dream guys that are selling books and making money on TV, stop giving them money. Stop giving them money. Stop giving them money, please. They're going to make something up. Well, you know, in dreams, pizza means, pepperoni means, you know, don't listen to them. But also don't dismiss what the Bible says that there'll be visions and dreams and that God will get your attention and he will speak to you. And if necessary, he'll give you some heavy duty you can confirm by the scriptures that will direct your life. And I think it's exciting. And on occasion, God can use a man to interpret dreams. We see that a few times in the scriptures. Um, but for the most part, he teaches through his word. That's the normative. You want to know the word of God. But be sure to pay attention to your dreams. Write them down, pray over them, so the spirit can bear witness to your spirit what God's trying to tell you. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Today's message is called, Does God Have Your Full Attention? And you can hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. We have been blessed in recent months by the large volume of people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really want to hear from you. 
And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that is inspirational, to put it mildly. It's Standing in the Fire by Tom Doyle. There's no doubt we live in a dangerous world with a virus that's hard to contain, civil unrest, people doing harm to others. It would be easy for us to be paralyzed by fear, but there is another way to go, and that is to stand courageously. This book will encourage you to be courageous and realize you're a victor in Christ. Request a copy of Standing in the Fire when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also want to tell you about our live stream here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Simply log on to calvaryco.church and look for our online campus. You can then look over our schedule and start streaming. You can also watch our services on YouTube. Subscribe to the free channel at Calvary Church with Ed Taylor. We'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel and join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Then you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.